young people using their gifts for the Lord. And I just like the Carol of the Bells. That's a, that's a neat one. Does any of you know the words? Are there words to that? There are? Okay. Have you ever been super bored with a sermon? You're like, this morning! Right now, I just got started. How did... It's my own daughter. Ouch. Well, I have. I have, I have truthfully been very bored with a sermon. Oftentimes, what that means is it reflects my own heart. Something is not right in my heart. I'm not open. I'm not hearing from God. Um, however, sometimes there's, there's a preacher that might miss something. Might miss something. Might, might even make a mistake. Like I, I shared before, I always loved having Moses around. Moses Yoder, he'd sit, he'd sit in the back over there, and when I was talking about Old Testament history, I'd always get a little mixed up as to what prophet and what king at the same time, and I have it all written out, and I'd say something trying to go from memory, and to see if I get it right or not, I'd look at him, and he'd either go, real subtle, just, mm-mm. and I'm like, oh, I got it wrong, or he'd be like, he was, he was my cheat sheet back there. But sometimes a preacher will get up, they'll open to a passage, they'll immediately start in on it, and then when they're done, they'll say something like, may the Spirit of God apply this to your heart. And they, they, they sit down afterwards. But they don't tell us why it's important, and they don't tell us what we should do about it. And I think it's important to come to a conclusion. I think it's important to come to an application. Have you ever had your doctor try and change your diet? Right? You've got you to cut this out. Or now you've got to do this. I was talking with poor brother Marion. Well, he was in the hospital. And he was telling me about the hospital food. And he's not allowed to have this. And he's not allowed to have that. And he's not allowed to have this in his food because of, of health reasons. If you went to your doctor and your doctor told you, I need you to stop eating something that you love or enjoy. Or I need you to start eating things that you just have no interest in. Never told you why. Never told you how to actually change your diet to achieve that. He just tells you, stuff about eating better. Wouldn't be particularly helpful, would it? Without coming to a conclusion. And I think a sermon without an application, without a conclusion, misses a great opportunity. What is the final takeaway from Solomon's life? We've been looking throughout the fall and now into winter about Solomon, David's son, this very wise, wise man, the wisest natural man to ever live on the earth, and we, we should boil it down to something as we come to this final message about it. It'd be a shame to discuss all of these things about what happened and how they happened and when they happened and where they happened and not figure out, so what? And then now what? What does this godly beginning prompt us to do? What does his messy midlife tell us? about what we ought to do or not do? What does his remorseful later years tell us about what we should do? How can Solomon, drawing from his life, help us today or tomorrow with the things that we face? Well, Solomon actually does that for us. He gives us the conclusion of the whole matter himself, and he's very straightforward about it. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 13. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Let me read verse 13 once more. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. 
Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it abides forever, cannot be broken. And so I pray that tonight you would use it to minister to us. Help us in this hour in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember Solomon? was the son that took the throne after King David, that sweet psalmist of Israel, the defeater of the giant Goliath, the great warrior, the great king. He wanted to build a house for God, but God told David he couldn't do it and said, your son will do it. And Solomon did do that. And he started off wonderfully humble. Solomon started off simply asking God if God would be willing to grant him wisdom so that he would know how to run the kingdom, so that he would know how to lead such a great people as God's people because He didn't want to make a mistake. And so he started off very well, doing very well. In fact, God blessed him with more than just wisdom. God gave him long life. God said that he would give him a time of peace. God said that he would give him wealth. All of these riches because he didn't ask for anything other than wisdom. Well, great start, did a great job. But then it says Solomon loved many strange women. Not strange in how they behaved or how they looked, but strange in that they were not from among the people of God. He took Pharaoh's daughter out of Egypt and uh, daughters of, that worshipped Ashtaroth and, and Molech from the pagan nations around them. And he, he took these to be one of his 700 wives and 300 concubines. And it says, and his wives turned his heart away from the Lord. When you enter into a relationship as sacred as marriage, when you have a desire to please somebody, like a husband ought want to please his, ought want to please his wife, she was able to draw him and say, why don't we build something in the high places to my God? Your God has this temple, and what about my gods? And sure enough, he did those things. And as time went on, he became further and further away from the Lord. And he writes about trying to find meaning in this life under the sun. Trying to find meaning in this life under the sun. That phrase to mean in this natural, earthly realm of living with God not being a part of it. And he tried a bunch of different stuff in order to find purpose, to find satisfaction, to find the best way to spend your time here on this earth. He tried wealth, and boy did he have it all. His gold was covered in gold. He had everything that you could want. He tried pleasure. He would drink to the point of madness. He would party and have revelries. We, we know about his numerous companions and his wives and his concubines. He tried with the, the writing of books and the studying and all of the education and searching as deep as he could and writing all of these proverbs. He tried all of these things and right at the beginning of this book, he, he tells you the end right in the beginning. You ever read a book that, that spoils the ending for you? He did that. Look back in Ecclesiastes 1, would you? Ecclesiastes 1. In verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? Boy, I want to read that book. Isn't that exciting? He's like, it's all empty. What's the point? What's the point in anything you do in this life apart from God? He says, it's all empty. I can tell you the end of it. You know what happens when you finally have all the money that you could stomach? It's empty. 
You want to know what happens when you, you finally have all of the, the pleasurable company you could desire and get all of the most beautiful people surrounding you? It's empty. You know what happens when you've gotten all the degrees and written all the books and you've done the, the talk show circuit or whatever the equivalent was? It says it's empty. He said, when everyone comes to visit you and they will champion your fame and talk about how great you are. He said, you know how, where, how that ends up? It's empty. Not just empty. He, he says, vanity of vanities, emptiness of emptiness. All is empty. That's what he ended up coming to. And he told us that at the very beginning. And so he went into great detail about it. He went into great detail about it. And then he comes at the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes and says, let's, let's get to the conclusion of the whole matter. The whole matter, everything that he's written, everything that he's talked about, everything that he's gone through in his life up till this point, let's come to a conclusion. Let's draw an application. By the way, I think that that is extremely important if you're teaching Sunday school, if you're ever teaching a Bible lesson, if you're ever preaching a sermon from this pulpit or somewhere else, I think you need to answer three questions before you're ready to preach. Here's what they are. What? So what? Now what? What? So what? Now what? What are you talking about? So what? Why is it important? Now what? What do you want me to do about it? You see, a sermon, biblical teaching, should prompt us to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. It should move us to action. There should be some sort of I'm going to do this now. That's why we have a a time of invitation in our church, because we don't want to stay the same. God is not interested in full heads with all the facts and information. He's interested in Christ-like action. I believe that the Lord is more pleased with the believer that knows only a few things about Christ, but is at least doing what he or she knows to do, than the person who has a whole mind filled with scriptures that he or she is doing none of. And so we we are prompted to make some sort of change, some sort of decision. The now what? Spurgeon said the sermon is not complete until the application is made. He was one of the greatest preachers of his day. His sermons are still read, even though it's a long time later. But when, when we talk about considering the difference between hearers and doers, that's a great distance to travel. Perhaps the greatest distance a man or woman ever traveled is the distance between knowing what they should do and doing what they should do. Look at what it says in James, would you? In James chapter 1. In James chapter 1 and verse number 22. I don't even like this verse. I honestly don't even like this verse. I'm going to read it anyway. James 1, 22. But be ye doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. I don't like that. You know why? Because I've heard a whole lot more than I do. And I think if we were honest, we would say there's a gap in everybody. If you know Christ as Savior, you've probably heard about something that you're not doing, that you ought to be doing. Or you know that there's something you're doing that you ought to stop. And you've heard it from the Spirit of God, from the Word of God, from the preaching of God's Word. And you're still doing it. Man, don't like this verse at all. But God's not interested in just hearers, is he? He wants doers. You can deceive yourself by just being a hearer, but we have to come to a place where we actually apply something. So let's get into what the application that he gives us. And you know, it's almost disappointing how simple it is. You expect something grandiose. 
you've, you've probably heard many jokes that start off with somebody climbing a mountain into the, the reaches of the Himalayans trying to find some wise man, someone who knows all of the answers. And they go to this person and ask them, what is the meaning of life? You know, what, what are the, where did all those jokes come from? Well, they came from the idea that some holy men up in the mountain were the only ones that could understand what the meaning of life is, and it's so deep and so complicated and so hard to attain this understanding that only these ascetic, wild, wise men up in the mountains have ever figured it out. Nope. It's almost disappointing how simple it is. But that's also one of the wonderful things about it is that it's something that all of us can wrap our heads around. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God... And keep his commandments. Well, that, that was it. You built up the meaning of life. You built up everything. In fact, it is everything. He says, for this is the whole duty of man. You say, what else is there? There isn't anything else. This is it. If you do what God says, and you are rightly related to him, you have a right vision of him, then you've done the whole duty of man. And you say, there's got to be something more than that. That sounds... That sounds too simplistic. Let's take it apart. What does it mean to fear God? What does it mean to fear God? I know people that think that that means that you tiptoe through life trying not to make God mad so he doesn't zap you. So he doesn't make your, your water heater at home leak. So he doesn't make you get a flat tire on the highway. Right? They think that they should be afraid of God because God is petty and vengeful and he's watching for them to do wrong. Do you think that's what this means? That is absolutely not what this means. Fear, reverence, proper respect is something that is due unto the Lord. It's about how you view him. There are very low visions of God today. Very cheap visions of God. Some people imagine God is a, a vague force that has nothing to do with their lives. That's not who he is. They imagine God is some old man in a rocking chair on the front porch who just hopes that you stop by every once in a while, like an old grandpa. He's just drinking some sweet tea. He wants you to stop by, talk with him every once in a while. He's got some crazy stories he likes to ramble about. Listen to a few of his stories, make the man happy, and move on so he'll send you your Christmas gift. No, that's, that's not who God is. He's also not the disapproving father that you can never please and is always disappointed with you. He's also not that person either. He's also not Buddy Jesus cuddly good old god the big man upstairs that is not who he is friend if you and i realized the power that the creator god wields we would fear him we would fear him did you know that your body is made up of atoms did you know that those atoms are held together to other atoms by certain bonds that's what keeps you from flying apart? Did you know that it's only by God's will that those bonds hold, that you don't just disintegrate? Did you know that? Just as easily as he spoke you into existence. Just as easily as he spoke this world into existence. And not just, poof, here's a world. Think about all the underlying physics of this world. Think about gravity. Think about light. How many of you have ever studied mathematics to the point where you got into physics, and it, it made you sad, right? Okay, well, Sean didn't get sad. Made me sad. I avoided physics. 
I avoided physics. I didn't want any of that. Do you know why? This world is amazingly complicated. And physics proves it. What about chemistry? My brother, I remember living with my brother in college, he took this course called organic chemistry. Ochem, they called it. Any of you have to take Ochem? Some of you had to take Ochem, right? Oh, wow. I saw him charting out molecules on this board where this and these little look like little honeycombs and there's all these letters and you got to move this and this interaction. And you know what that is? That's the best our simplistic minds can do to understand how things work together. But did you know that there's stuff smaller than atoms? Yeah. Did you ever wonder how nature works? These little microbial things get eaten by other microbial things that get eaten by other things that are a little bit bigger that form this plant and that plant gets eaten by this bug and that bug gets eaten by some sort of bird and that bird gets eaten by some sort of cat and that cat gets eaten by whatever eats cats, dogs, coyotes. And it all works together so that you and I somehow at the end of the day have steak or salad or whatever makes you happy. And if something is removed from that ecosystem or introduced to that ecosystem, the whole thing is so complicated it could collapse it for years. Isn't that wild? God, in one moment, spoke that into existence. That's how powerful he is. We don't even understand. We, we, people can spend their entire lives, and our, our best and brightest cannot wrap their minds around the simple truths of the universe, let alone the deep things that we don't even know about yet. I remember when the, the projects over in Europe were going on with that collider and the, the God particle, and people were like, yeah, we found the God particle, until you realize there's something other than the God particle, smaller than that, more complicated than that, until you realize there's something else, and then there's something else, and you keep going down deeper and deeper. That is the power of our God. That is the wisdom of our God on display all around us. The idea that we would not fear him seems crazy. You know, you know what it is? People recognize that God is good, and so they feel like he's harmless. They believe that God is good, so they feel like he's harmless. How's Sodom and Gomorrah doing? Not even God got directly involved in that. He sent some angels, some of his created messengers, and they destroyed two city-states. Just the two of them. The destructive power of something he created. They were gone. That's amazing. In one night... Through God's power and his judgment, all the firstborn of Egypt, their lives were taken. Did you realize that God is righteous in every way to touch your life in any way he desires? Whether that be blessing, or whether that be illness, whether that means loss or joy. By right of creation, he holds our future and is saying, what limitations are there on God? Who will stop him? To whom shall you appeal? Now, the judge of all the earth is going to do right. Praise God, we don't serve some capricious Roman deity, some capricious pagan Greek deity. We don't, we don't serve them. We serve a God who is completely holy and just and righteous. But don't for a moment think that he's harmless because sometimes the hurt that he allows or even brings into our lives himself are the things that he uses to make us more like Christ. That is in no way incompatible with him being good. Someone with that much power and that much commitment to something so greater than you and I, are you just going to treat him flippantly? Are you just going to refer to him like he's nothing? Are you just going to pretend like he's not there? No, we should have a high vision of God. 
Do you know how many times God sins in a day? Never. Why? Because he's holy. Completely holy. There's no shadow. There's no darkness in him whatsoever. There's no shadow of turning. He will never have a bad day. He is having the best day of his life all the time, every day, because he's perfect. Think about that. When you have a right relation to God, when you view him for who he is, how small we are, how great he is, that's part of the conclusion of the whole matter. That's part of the whole equation is your vision of God. If you have a high vision of God, all the other things are going to fall into place. We don't have time to talk about it because tonight is a full night with many things. But the prophet in the Old Testament, he had some unclean lips. Isaiah, he, he dwelt with the people of unclean lips. And when he got a vision of God... God convicted him of that sin, touched that coal to his lips, and he was finally ready and surrendered to do what it is that God would have him to do. The right vision of God made all the difference in his life. Is God small and tiny? Welcome to a life of fear. Welcome to a life of anxiety, because now God is too small or too distant to do anything for you. Is God mean and vengeful? Welcome to a life of anxiousness, a desire to please that will never be satisfied, discouragement because you're never good enough. But if you get a right vision of God, welcome to the most peaceful existence you can imagine. Welcome to all the fullness of joy that you can have. That's what we find when we fear God. But he doesn't just say fear God or just be rightly related to him, the right vision of him. He says to keep his commandments. He says to keep his commandments. What are his commandments? Well, what does he say? How do we know what God wants? How do we know what's right and wrong? How do we know what's true and false? How do we know what we ought to do and ought not do? It is written for us in the word of God. Now today is not that different from any other day in history. We like to think that we're more advanced because we have greater technology. We like to think because we have a greater lifespan that we're much wiser and different people. But people have been people for a long time. Rebellion has been rebellion for a long time. The desire to have no one to rule over, a man, a woman, a boy, a girl, has been something in the heart of rebellious man ever since we sinned. That is nothing new. And I know that the atheists today and the skeptics today want to pretend and put on some sort of uh, pseudo-intellectual beret and, and act like they've come to some new understanding, but they've been around forever. Really, they just choose to make a god of themselves. What is the authority for your life? Well, for some, it's whatever society says is right or wrong at the moment. You know what the problem with that is? Wait till tomorrow. Something changed. Did you know that you will never be virtuous enough in the eyes of the world because it'll always be changing? It'll always be changing. Some people make their own comfort the authority for their life. Whatever feels good, whatever makes me comfortable, whatever brings me pleasure, whatever brings me safety, that's what's right. That's what I ought to do. That's what's true. For God's people, where do we look? And the answer ought to be the word of God. And doesn't that seem pretty straightforward? Again, almost disappointing. It's like when someone comes to you, Pastor Steve, and they say, I've got all sorts of trouble in my house. I've got all sorts of problems in my marriage or with my children or with my parents. Or... And you ask the question, 
Well, how's your prayer life? And you ask the question, well, how's your time in the Word with God? <laughs> and they're like, you're going to tell me that my problem is going to be helped by reading the Bible and praying. Uh, yes. Because it's so simple, we oftentimes discount it as not necessary. But in fact, it is some of the most necessary things we will put into a day. Or the most detrimental things that we'll leave out. Having that relationship with God is how we spend time with Him. That's how we connect with Him. Most Christians do not decide, hey, I'm going to ignore the Bible. And they set it aside. I don't think that that's the problem that goes on in most people's hearts. You know why? Because I know it goes on in my heart, and it's called selective obedience. Ladies, you ever known a man with selective hearing? Where they hear certain things and they don't hear certain things. Well, I didn't hear that. I didn't hear what you said. I didn't know that. Selective hearing. Parents, have you ever known a child to have selective hearing? You never said that. I didn't know that that's what you wanted. You've probably experienced even people at work with selective hearing. Oh, the boss wanted me to do that? Oh, I don't I didn't hear that. We have... I have, all of God's people have, at one time or another, trouble with selective obedience. God says that things are true, that things are good and ought to be done, that things are right. And for the most part, we agree with him. Except for that thing. I don't like that thing. In fact, I think I ought to be able to leave that one out. Because I do all the other ones so good, I get a break. I don't have to do that. In fact, because I go to Sunday school, I don't have to worry about following what God wants from me because I'm making up for it in other areas. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I've heard that before. Because I'm involved in this, if you saw my tithe, you would know why it's okay that I don't do X, Y, Z. No. He says this is the conclusion of the whole thing. Do you want to know what it would be like if you ran an experiment with all the money and all the resources that you wanted to try and figure out what the main pursuit in your life should be, somebody already did it, and he came to the conclusion, and he says it's fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. If you miss these two things, then you have missed it, because that is the whole duty of man. The good news is, those are so simple that all of us can strive for them. Does that mean that I'm always going to have the right vision of God? No. But I can most certainly try. Does that mean I'm always going to do the right thing? I would desire to, but my track record hasn't been so great. May God help me to grow even more. All of us can do these things. Why? Aren't you so glad that he answered the why? The now what we got, but the so what we need. For God, verse 14, shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Because test day is coming, there will be an accounting. H have, have you ever uh, bombed a test? I won't ask you to raise your hand. Some of you just did. Have you ever just, I mean, absolutely did so bad on a test that you were almost shocked with how bad it was? I, I, have, I have done that. I have done that. Where they're like, listen, you didn't even finish. You need to do this again. What is that? I wasn't ready. How did that happen? I didn't study like I ought to have. I didn't apply myself like I ought to have. 
Knowing that a test day is coming is something that motivates people to get ready, to prepare. And if you want motivation of why we ought to have the right vision of God and why we ought to obey him, why we ought to fear God and keep his commandments, is because one day we're going to meet him. In fact, that is one of the things I am most convinced of as a pastor, that I am trying to help prepare you for that day. For folks that don't know Christ, I'm trying to help prepare them for that day, that they might know him and be ready to be welcomed into heaven because they know Christ as Savior. For the believer, I want that day to be wonderful for you. I want you to enter in and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, because you were faithful with the things that had been given to you. You were faithful with your, your talents and your time, with the relationships in your life, with the opportunities you were given, whether they're great or small compared to someone else, doesn't matter. I want you to have a great day that day, and that day is coming. That day is coming. Again, I, I keep thinking about this because it's someone close to me. My friend Stephen, when he died, his race was run. My friend Stephen died about three weeks ago, suddenly, in a way that none of us ever expected. We've already celebrated his life in a funeral. And now his, his family, his beautiful wife and four kids, just great people, Shannon and I adore. They're trying to figure out how to move forward in their lives now. But I keep thinking to myself, you know what? He met God. He met God. And I believe that there's still fruit abound, abounding to his account from the things that his legacy, his impact in the lives of others have done, I believe that he is still racking up rewards in heaven. But I could die tomorrow. I could die tonight. You could die tonight. No, I don't want to. I don't want you to. But one day we're going to meet God. And if we honestly believe that there is a test day coming, if we honestly believe that there is a time we're going to meet God, wouldn't we want to be ready? Wouldn't it be a good time to fear him now? To keep his commandments now? You see, that meeting, if we don't know Christ as Savior, if you've, if you've never, by faith, prayed and asked the Lord to forgive your sins and be your Savior, if you've, if you've never believed on the Lord, you'll stand before the Lord in judgment between heaven and hell. And friend, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to stand before him in your sin, and the verdict is going to be guilty. The verdict is going to be hell. The blackness of darkness forever. A place of burning where the worm dieth not. Horrible. Horrible. Not even made for mankind, but for the devil and his angels. We only end up there by association since we rebelled and joined the devil and his angels. If it's a believer, I want you to know that we'll show up not in judgment over whether or not we make it into heaven because the Lord Jesus was already judged for our sin. He's already paid our sin debt. That is clear. Paid in full is on your invoice in God's file cabinet. But we do show up for either reward or loss based on how faithful we are. And you know, even the secret things, we can be really good hiding some things, right? We can be really good hiding some things. There are some things that I think I have hidden from people that people know about. There are some things that you think you have hidden from others that people know about. But perhaps we think no one knows about this one thing. No one caught me then. 
And that thing's just going to stay buried, and I don't need to bring it up, and I don't need to get forgiveness for it, and I don't need to touch that. It's just there, and it's hidden, and it's quiet. Or maybe I haven't stopped doing it or started doing what I need to be doing. Whatever it is, it's still going on, but I've got it secret. He says, even those things are going to be brought out. You and I can hide nothing. And you know what? Hiding never helped anybody. It really didn't. Have you ever run into a case where someone had grievous sin in your life, in their lives, and, and you told them, hey, just don't, don't tell anybody about that. Don't tell your wife. Don't tell your children. Don't tell your husband. Don't tell your employer. Just keep it quiet. It'll go away. You know what happens to problems left by themselves? They get bigger. They get uglier. It's a bad thing. But we think we can try and hide it. But one day we're going to give an account to God. And I know that day I'm going to face loss. Because there are some things I was not faithful with. I'm going to face loss because perhaps I didn't have the right motivation. It's going to be tried. And those things that are right and true will remain. And I want more fruit that remains. I hope you want the same thing. More fruit that remains. So what are we going to do? Solomon says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to fear God and keep his commandments. Be rightly related to him, have a right vision of him, and do those things that please him. I want you to know that Romans 8.1 brings me much comfort. In Romans 8, in verse number 1, let me read this for you. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Brothers, sisters... If I had to stand before God in my record for how I feared him and how I kept his commandments, I would be in so much trouble, an unbelievable amount of trouble. But because I'm in Jesus Christ, there's now no condemnation. Praise God for that. That's what the great salvation, the great gift of salvation, that's why we get so excited about Christmas. That's why Jesus' gift is unspeakable because of the trouble we were in and the trouble that he delivered us from. What a great savior we have. So we see this motivation is because one day we're going to meet God. So let's boil this down into a a good, quick application. It'd be terrible for me to talk about not making an application and not make an application. First of all, revere God. Revere God. Recognize his complete control over your life. Reject all of these false ideas of who God is, making him small or making him vengeful. It's supposed to be revere God. I don't know how remember God got up there. But you can do that too if you want. God's approval should be precious to you. God's approval should be precious to you. His name and his reputation ought to be precious to you. Because he's been so good to us. Don't play with him. Wow. Hold on. It says revere God up there, but it says on the fly. Did you see them do that? Bonus points for the people in the sound room. Excellent job. Thank you for that. Should we play around with God? Can you play around with God and revere him? I would argue that you can't. How should we speak about a God that we revere? How should we arrange our days and our weeks and our months if we truly revere God? How should we spend our time if we revere God? How should we spend our money? How should we conduct ourselves in communication and conversation with others if we revere God. It sounds simple, but I think it's one of the greatest things that we can do. 
Because if God is in his rightful place, all these other things will end up in their rightful place. Secondly, make God's word the authority for your life. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, this is perhaps one of the most important battles that we are going to fight today. Culturally, yes. But more specifically, personal. Personally. We have to make the decision that we're going to allow God's word to correct us. I do not like being told that I'm wrong. I do not like being corrected. Don't you know who I am? The Bible doesn't care one bit who I am. God is right. Let God be true and every man a liar. Whether I agree with it or not, the Bible is right. Not because I'm doing right, it's right. It is right, and so that's why I'm trying to do it. Believer, I don't think that you're here on a Sunday night because you don't love the Bible. I think that we probably are just suffering from selective obedience in some places. Selective obedience. You know, my kids, they don't like... Oh, man, they're going to get annoyed when I say this. Delayed obedience is disobedience, right? Oh, man, people don't like the term disobey. Nobody likes that. Do you, do you like being told you're disobeying? No, nobody likes that. Not, not normal people, anyway. Not normal people. You see, God has instructed us how we ought to live. We ought to do that, period. That's what Solomon came to in his conclusion. He tried his own wisdom, his own whims, whatever he thought would profit him, his own authority, and it turned out disastrous. Let's be careful that not to be accused of partial obedience or delayed obedience. Let us follow after God's word. And lastly, remember your coming meeting with God. Remember your coming meeting with God. You say, I don't know how I'm supposed to live. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my day. Well, just imagine that tomorrow you're going to die and stand before God. How would you want to live today knowing that you're going to stand before God tomorrow? You say, what if I don't die tomorrow? Then imagine the day after that you're going to meet God. How are you going to live the next day? Rinse, repeat. That's that's how this works. Living in light of our upcoming meeting with God. That's what Solomon said made him motivated to try and fear the Lord and to do right. We will be judged by God one day, either heaven or hell if we're lost. And if you don't know Christ as Savior, I want to encourage you this evening, get right with the Lord. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for you and as you when he went to the cross. That was his great sacrifice that you might have a way back to God. Or for those of us that know him, we want to be ready so that we don't suffer loss, but much reward. No matter what happens here, you're going to meet him there. No matter what happens here, you're going to meet them Meet him there. That ought to change how we live. That ought to change how we live because we know we're going to meet him one day. You say, I could do this thing, but it would take me out of church. I could do this thing, but it would make me so busy I won't have time to spend with the Lord. I could do this thing, but it's going to war in my heart for my affection. I could do this. I could do that. Friend, one day we're going to meet him. One day we're going to meet him. And I know it's a hard thing, and I'm trying to navigate it through with my children, but your children are going to stand before the Lord one day. They're probably not going to play professional sports, or maybe even college sports. 
They're probably not going to become an actor or an actress. They're probably not going to become uh, some tech millionaire or billionaire. But I guarantee you they are going to stand before the Lord. And so if the day ever comes when you have to choose between one or the other, let us choose the Lord so that they're ready for that day. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? We have in our church what we call a time of invitation where we invite you to act on what it is that God is speaking with you about. And I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. But I'm praying that he's speaking with you about something. Maybe it's about revering the Lord. Maybe you've been so fearful and so anxious and so worried because God has been very small in your mind and you've forgotten how great he is. Maybe tonight you need to come to the Lord and say, Father, renew my vision. Show me who you are. See his glory. Maybe you're here tonight and you haven't been living as though your meeting with God could be right around the corner. Maybe you've been delaying some things and you haven't been getting serious about God because you feel like, I'm young. It's going to be years before I die. I hope so. I hope it's many, many healthy years. But if it's not... Or even if it is, we will still one day stand before the Lord. Friend, are you living to be ready for that moment? Perhaps even in our lifetime, the Lord shall return and our time shall be cut then. Are you ready for that moment to have an abundant entry? Have you been putting God in his rightful place? Whatever it might be that the Lord has spoken to you about, would you say yes to him this evening? Father, we love you. And we want to be better. We know that it will only be by your grace if we are. Help us to fear you, to have that right respect for you, and to do the things that you ask of us. Enable us, Father, for we cannot do it ourselves. In Jesus' name.